Hi, my name is Regina Calvin, and um, I've been a member of City Church since June of 2016. My son Ashton and I, um, we were at Taekwondo um, next to uh, the Piggly Wiggly, and um, we had a flyer left on our car, and it was um, inviting us to City Church for Father's Day, and um, I went home immediately and looked them up and I got hooked listening to the messages. I streamed them all for the whole week. Um, it was probably like two Sundays after that that we decided to uh, show up. And when we got there, um, we were immediately welcomed. We just loved it. Um, I just couldn't believe that, you know, we had such good luck. We had just moved to Olive Branch. We were looking for a church home. And um, at that time, my son was about seven or eight and we just were looking for a good children's ministry and um, on our first Sunday like I said we were so welcomed and so loved and um, he enjoyed it. it there weren't many kids at that time but it was just the the presence he felt at home he felt safe I just knew that this was our church home and where we belonged I am a single mother um, and at the time we moved to Olive Branch, it was just me and um, Ashton. Uh, we didn't um, know anybody in Olive Branch, um, and so getting connected with City Church was just awesome. Um, we immediately got plugged in, um, just did the discovery, became members, started serving. Um, it was just such a blessing because um, as a single parent, uh, just having people that would come alongside of me um, to help encourage me as an individual, but then also encourage my son, um, praying over us and, and caring about us uh, was just so awesome. Um, we went through some tough things, some tough times, uh, especially as Ashton started to get older in school and just having uh, people that I can reach out to that can pray for me, that can um, support us. One of the things that just really struck me, uh, struck me was um, the acceptance that I felt here as a single mom. Um, I have attended many churches and um, people were friendly, but not necessarily um, allowing me to serve um, in a greater capacity. And um, I know within my first year of attending City Church, um, they were in need of a uh, children's ministry leader and um, I was presented with that opportunity. I just couldn't believe that they would allow me um, to do this because of how I felt about myself as a single mom and the choices that um, led me down that path. It just felt good and to know that God accepted me, that they accepted me, that they saw past my flaws and my failures and they allowed me to operate in that, this gift that God had given me. Um, I have met so many families, so many kids, uh, was able to feed into other families um, while they were also feeding into my son. Um, we're still working some things out, but I know that if it had not been for City Church, we would not be where we are. Um, I was able to see my son worship, actually worship on the front row at a worship night, something that I never thought that I would be able to see. Um, he has always been kind of standoffish and 
um, at one point maybe even doubting God if he was real because of um, our circumstances and just to see him grow and flourish in that to see so many elders and pastors and leaders and families come alongside us and encourage us in that way has just been truly a blessing when we did the um, make room series um, I know God was just really working on me I had already um, been leading Kids City for quite a few years at that time and um, I was just struggling wrestling with the idea of of leaving this because you know um, again I was just so honored to be called uh, to to do such you know um, a ministry uh, such a great ministry and I know that um, God was just tugging at me and I didn't really want to um, make that move <laughs> and and I was just so grateful that you know God was talking to Pastor Troy also and um, he came to me and um, in a sense released me released me um, from the children's ministry but into I feel like something bigger I feel like God is calling me into something new um, it's a new season we're making room and in that I was able to you know make room for Megan and Justin to step in and you know um, and, and following what God has called them to do and making room in my own personal life for what God wants to use me for um, and and bless this ministry again you know I, I really believe that um, God does not call us to just one thing I feel like that, that he puts many gifts inside of us and I just love that you know I have that opportunity here I know that um, you know whatever it is is going to be blessed um, because we pray over it we we fast over this we we seek God in everything that we do here and that's what I love we do it not as individuals but we do it as a church we come together and we 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 seek God together we want to see good things happening not just in our individual lives but in this city um, in in touching all of the lives wherever we go where we work where we go to school I'm just um, really excited about this new chapter that God has for us Amen. Thank you, Regina, for sharing your story with us. Um, next week, we get to unveil our spring semester of city groups. And a uh, little spoiler alert, you might find out a little bit about that new thing that God is calling Miss Regina into uh, and some of what that looks like. Uh, so make sure and be here next Sunday as we continue that story. Um, I want to do something I haven't been able to do yet. This is our third week of showing these testimony videos. Have, have you guys enjoyed these? Um, man, how, how encouraging, how inspiring. I, we've got two more for you uh, over the next two Sundays. And, and so many other stories that we haven't been able to cover and so many other incredible stories in our church. But would you help me honor Samantha Doyle for editing these and putting all this together? Thank you, Sam. I know that she did not want me to do that. But... Uh. That's what happens when you have the power of the microphone. You get to do what you want. Uh, today we are in part three of our series, This Is Our Story. As many of you know, we celebrated our 20th anniversary just a couple of weeks ago, and we've been sharing different parts of the story of our church, the history of our church, what God has done through our church um, and in our church and in the people of our church. And today in part three, we're going to talk about the restoration story. 
Uh, restoration is not something that we've ever, I think, officially articulated as a key piece of our vision or a key piece of our identity. But when I look back over the 18 and a half years that I've been a part of this church, there are so many stories of restoration. There are so many lives, so many individuals who I see God has breathed new life into. Um, Regina being a, an amazing example of that, that, man, she was able to come here and feel not just f- they were friendly, but, man, she had a purpose. She had a role that, that God was not done with her because of some mistakes from her past, because of some status that she may share as, as a single mom. And, and we can use many different examples. Um, and I, I'm so thrilled that we get to be a place that sees restoration. Uh, I hope we always hold on to that. I hope that will always continue to be part of our story. I believe with all my heart that God has called us to be restoration, restoration agents, not just us as city church, but us as Christians, us as believers, big C church. We are all called to be agents of God's restoration. Ultimately, God is a restoring God. God is a God who breathes new life into dead places. God is a God who steps in and fixes that which has been broken. I think most of us in this room could share a story, an example of how God has restored us, of the restoration God has brought into our lives. And so I want us to cling to that. I want us to hold to that vision. I want us to continue to pursue restoration. My dad, uh, when I was a kid growing up, my dad was a dumpster diver. Anybody else? Any dumpster divers? You're too ashamed to say it. Um, I'll just own it. Um, that's, that's how high class we are, okay? That, that's the family that I grew up in. Uh, he wasn't just a dumpster diver. Dad was, would, if he saw something on the side of the road, like he saw a purpose for that thing, that trash, he's stopping, he's picking it up, throwing it in the pickup truck. My, my dad always had a vision for restoration, he always had, man, this thing may have, may, may, may have been overlooked. This thing may have been thrown out. This thing may have been given up on. Somebody might have said, we don't need this, but I can find a purpose for it. There is a way to restore this thing. And I got this picture this week that may sound a little silly, may sound even a little crazy, may sound a little low class, but I think God's called us to be some spiritual dumpster divers where, where we see things that others have thrown out that others have treated as trash, that others have said it no longer has any purpose, no longer has any use, but we have a God who sees use in it, who sees purpose in it, who has vision for it to be restored. And so we're not going to be afraid to get our hands dirty. We're not going to be afraid to maybe have some, some, some smell associated with us, right? Like, oh, you, and they're not good enough. They're, they're, they're below what this standard, this level, man, I'm so grateful that I grew up in a home that believed in restoration. See, my dad was a restoration story. My dad was one who God had breathed restoration into. And so he, in the practical world, believed in restoration. I don't know that he ever made the spiritual connection. I never made it until this week. But I think we could be some spiritual dumpster divers that we can go after, not just hope that they show up, 
Not just, well, if they're here, we're going to accept them, we're going to treat them well, but we're actually pursuing them. We're actually going after them when they're at their lowest, when they're at their most broken, when they're at their most separated, most discarded, most frustrated, most fallen. That's the point where we're extending our hand and we're reaching in and we're getting our hands dirty and we're saying, no, there's a God who loves you. There's a God who restores you. There's a God who still has purpose for you. There's a God who hasn't given up on you. the story of restoration. It's often been said that the Christian army is the only army in the world that shoots its own wounded. Um, what, a, what, a, what a terrible statement. I don't actually think it's true. Uh, if you go to the corporate world, if you go to the political world, there are many that shoot their own wounded in those demographics as well, but oftentimes it is true of the church. It is sadly true of this army that we can shoot our own wounded, and I don't believe that is the God that we serve. I believe we serve a God who reaches down to the broken, to the falling, to the hurting, and says, it's not over. The story is not complete. I've still got purpose for you. I've got healing for you. I've got restoration for you. So I want to share with you just a few thoughts this morning on restoration, on what we're called to as a people, as City Church, as Christ followers. Number one, we are called to restore fallen people. These are those who have sinned. These are those who, who have messed up. These are those who have violated God's commands. Now, first and foremost, we're all fallen people, right? We, we've all registered in that category. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all fallen people, but sometimes we fall even after salvation, don't we? In fact, I would say this, most of us fall even after salvation. I think it's the rule, not the exception. I'm not going to say it's impossible to, to never fall. I believe that it probably is. I believe that we can live a life so submitted to God that it doesn't happen, but I haven't lived that life. I haven't hit that target. And I think the vast majority of us have missed that target as well. And so here's what I love about the grace of God. When he saves us, he just doesn't, doesn't just save us from our past. He saves us with the knowledge of our future. He knows how we're going to mess up. He knows how we're going to miss it. He knows how we're going to fall, and he reaches down, and he saves us anyway. He reaches down, and he loves us anyway. And so it's in the same way that he restores, restores fallen people, I believe we as his church are called to be an agent of restoration to fallen people. In the book of Psalm chapter 51, there's an incredible psalm of restoration where, the, where David, the psalmist, cries out to God after committing some horrible sins. He commits the sin of adultery. That breaks one of the Ten Commandments. He commits the sin of murder, breaking another of the Ten Commandments. There's lie. I mean, there, there's multiple. You could call it stealing. You could call it covenant. You could probably hit like five or six commandments that he breaks in, in, in this story with Bathsheba. And when he finally realizes his sin, when he finally receives that conviction and returns to God and repents, he prays this in Psalm 51, 12. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Notice he doesn't pray restore your salvation. Okay? Just because we fall doesn't mean we lose our salvation. Just because we fall doesn't mean God has kicked us out of the family. I don't believe that that happens. I believe God still maintains us in the family. He's still our father and we're still his child even though we may have run away. Even though we may have rebelled, even though we may have been that prodigal son or that prodigal child, I don't believe he kicks us out of the family, but I do know this, man, when we fall we lose the joy of salvation. 
We lose the blessings of salvation. We, we, we lose the access to fellowship with him because of our own doing, not because he kicked us out, because we ran, because we denied ourselves the blessings of being his child. And in David repents and believe, trust me, a key part of restoration is repentance. A key part is realizing I have missed it, God. I have broken your laws. I have violated your ways. God, forgive me. If you need to, man, I, I encourage you, read through Psalm 51. It is this beautiful passage of repentance. God, I blew it. God, I messed up. God, I'm sorry. But he asks, would you restore the joy of my salvation? When we're agents of God's restoration to fallen people, you know what we restore? We restore joy. Man, we, we, we remind people that there's purpose, that there's something to live for, that there's hope, that the, the, the brokenness of today, the fallenness of today, the frustration and disappointment and discouragement of today does not have to define all of our future, that there's something God still has for us. We have to be people who restore fallen people. Secondly, I would say this, we are called to restore broken people. Now, sometimes these are the same. Sometimes we're broken because we fell. But sometimes we're broken because of the circumstances, because of the actions of others. Sometimes we're broken through no fault of our own. Job was incredibly broken, and God repeatedly in the book of Job affirms he was blameless. Job didn't do anything. He, he lost everything. It was not a result of his sin. It wasn't a result of his fallenness. It was the result of an enemy who came and attacked him and stole everything. And sometimes we're just broken. Man, sometimes your marriage failed, but you didn't fail, but your marriage failed. It wasn't because of your mistake. Now, sometimes it is ours. But sometimes, man, we're just broken. We're just empty because of something that happened. And we're called to restore broken people. Man, we're called to, to love those broken people, to love those people who, who maybe are, are coming in in shambles. Man, who maybe are coming in out of, out of a rough situation, out of hurt from, from a family situation, a work situation, a church situation. They're coming in broken. And God's promise is this, that he is close to the brokenhearted, that he binds up all of our wounds. And so if God is close to the broken, and we were saying, give me Jesus, I just want more Jesus, you know what? I think part of the way for us to get more Jesus is to get closer to the broken. Because that's where he's at. That's where my God is. He's close to the broken. And so when we pursue the broken, when we're going after the ones whose circumstances seem to be falling apart, the ones whose finances aren't exactly the way they want them to be, whose family doesn't seem to be the way that they dreamed of or prayed for or believed for, when we go after the broken, we end up actually discovering Jesus. Jesus actually puts it this way. He said, when you did it for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. And so in brokenness, we actually get closer to God. So we are called to broken people. I would say this thirdly. We are called to restore people gently. We're called to restore people gently. Galatians 6.1 says this. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, so this is the, the fallen side more than the broken side, but I think it applies to both. You who live by the Spirit, everybody say, that's me. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You should restore them gently. And then he says this, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. But by the grace of God, there go I. 
And so there's to be a gentleness in restoration. Notice it doesn't say you should restore them immediately. Restoration is a process to, to get back to that place. How many of you guys have ever restored? You're like my dad. You found something on the side of the road or you found it at the secondhand store or whatever. And you've got a gift. You can restore something. You can take that old dusty, crusty table and make it something beautiful again. Restoration is work. This is why I don't do it. Okay? Uh, it, it takes some skill, it takes some talent, but it takes some time, and it takes some love. If you're going to restore something, you're going to have to get close to that thing. You can't restore from a distance. You restore it up close. There's an intimacy with something that you have to go through restoration, but it's a restoration process. It doesn't happen instantaneously. We don't just pray one prayer and boom, they're restored. See, see, we can make two, there's always a ditch on both sides. There's the ditch of not restoring people, of leaving them on the side of the road and moving on, and that's a mistake. But there's also the ditch of immediate restoration where we don't actually help them realize how they got there in the first place. They don't help them realize the, the, the pain that their mistakes may have caused others and, and how they need to repent and all those things. And so he says, restore them gently. So it's positive, it's encouraging, it's a process. It takes some time. So God has called us to be restoration agents. I want to very quickly give you three characteristics of restoration agents. If we're going to do this, not just in the 20 years of City Church past, but the next 20 years of City Church future and beyond, if we're going to carry this into our workplace, into our schools, into our families, into our circles, wherever those may be, how, how do I be someone who's a restoration agent? I want to give you three things that, that will help. Number one, remember God's mercy to you. Remember God's mercy to you. You see, the mistake we make as believers, the thing the enemy wants to make us do is make us think we earned our place with God. I got here because of my goodness. I got here because of my good decisions. Right? You're at that place because of your bad decisions, because of your sin, but I'm at this place because of my good decisions. Now, don't get me wrong. There is blessing on good decisions. God says, I said before you today, blessing and curses, life and death. He says, choose life. And so I do believe that there is, there is fruit in good choices, that we need to make wise choices, but we also have to understand we haven't always made good choices. That if I got everything I deserved, if God treated me the way that I have earned it, I wouldn't be at the place that I am. I would be at a much lower place. And so we must remember God's mercy to us. There's a parable that Jesus tells of this unmerciful servant. You probably know it. For time's sake, I won't read all of it. We'll summarize most of it. We'll close with a couple of verses from it. But the unmerciful servant was this guy who owed this massive amount of money, this amount of money that you could never, never earn in a lifetime to the king. And so the king calls forth his accounts, and, and he calls this guy forward and says, you need to pay or else I'm, I'm casting you into the dungeon. And, and the guy says, there's no way I can do this. He throws himself at the king's mercy, and the king is merciful, and he wipes away his debt. See, the thing we have to remember is that was me. I was the one with the debt I could never repay. You were the one with the debt you could never repay. The only way our debt was ever paid is Jesus came and he paid it all. And so if we lose sight of that, if we think that somehow we've earned our place with God, that it was our goodness, our righteousness, our faithfulness, our wisdom that got us here, we will always mistreat those who have fallen because we forget that I was the fallen. And so the first key to be a restoration agent is just always remember 
God was merciful to me. God loved me in my fallenness. He loved me in my brokenness. He pursued me in my failure, in my lack. He came after me. Matthew 18, 32, the story concludes. Jesus says, then the master called the servant in. He says, you wicked servant. Now, he's calling in the wicked servant. Sorry, I skipped a part of it. The, the wicked servant goes out, and somebody owes him 100 bucks. And he calls him, and he says, hey, where's that 100 bucks you owe me? And the guy says, well, I don't have it right now. Can you give me some time? And he says, no, and he gets the guy thrown in jail because he didn't pay his small debt. And that's what it's like when we hold somebody's mistakes against them when we've received the greatest forgiveness we can ever receive. And so the master finds out and he calls in this unmerciful servant and hands him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed, which, spoiler alert, is never. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister Not just a surface forgiveness, not just we're going to act like everything's okay, but actually releasing that debt from our heart. I used to do this really naturally and be really good at this. And the last year, I've had this tested in ways I've never had it tested before. I've seen some unforgiveness in my own heart that I thought I, that wasn't there. And the reality is we can all be susceptible to this. We can all have situations where we hold somebody's mistakes against them. But the biggest antidote to unforgiveness is remembering how forgiven we are. So remember God's mercy to you if you want to be an agent of restoration. Secondly, practice the golden rule. I don't know the last time I talked about the golden rule. The golden rule, it's like, it's like kids' ministry stuff, right? It's like we graduated past that. Like we, we've outgrown that. We all know the golden rule, but maybe we need to be reminded of it sometimes. What is the golden rule? Matthew 7, 12. In everything. Everybody say in everything. In everything. Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law. And the prophets, many of you know this, but, but almost every faith, every religion globally has some form of this. But in all the others, it's the opposite. It's don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. So, so it's the negative side. It's like, man, don't, don't, don't mess somebody up in a way that you wouldn't want them to mess you up, which is a good rule too. But Jesus takes it higher. He takes it to a level above. He calls his people to a different level of practice. He says, do to others what you would want them to do to you. He doesn't say do to others what others do to you. Treat them the way that they treat you. Treat them the way that they earn. Praise God, he doesn't treat me the way that he earns. What's the golden rule? The golden rule is what God does to us. He's just inviting us to be like him. He says, I'm going to do to you the same way I would want you to do to me, even though I know many times you won't. And I'm asking you to go out and do to others what you would have them to do for you. If we would live out the golden rule, restoration would come natural to us. It would be easy. It would be normal. It would be the standard. It would be the expectation in church as it should be. If we could just live up to this. Jesus says, you, you do this one rule, you live out the whole law and the prophets. All the hundreds of commands in the Old Testament are just summed up in this one. Just treat people the way you want them to treat you. It's simple, but it ain't easy. Right? Like It's, it's such an easy concept, but living it out. Because I got a sin nature. Because I got a flesh. Because I got standards and expectations and entitlements. 
And so oftentimes we don't treat people the way they want us or the way that we would want them to treat us. But that's God's call for his people. And if you do it, we'll live out being restoration agents. Thirdly, deal with your own sin first. Doesn't mean we don't challenge somebody's sin. Part of restoration is helping them realize their sin and, and seeking forgiveness and moving away from the mistakes of their past. That is a piece of the restoration process. But the mistake that we so often make is we make excuses for our sin and we hold everybody accountable for theirs. And Jesus says, nope, not my people. Not Jesus' people, not my disciples, not my followers. He said, my disciples are going to operate this way. Matthew 7, just a few verses before the golden rule. He says, when do you look at the speck of the sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I grew up, there was a Christian band called Plank Eye, a little pop punk band. Uh, <laughs> had some great stuff back in the late 90s, a long time ago. I'm dating myself. Um, Quit worrying about that little piece of sawdust in somebody else's eye when you got a honking two-by-four coming out of yours. Deal with your stuff first. Verse 4, he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own, you hypocrite? Verse 5, oh, God forbid Jesus would look at us and say, you hypocrite. You hypocrite, he says, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He doesn't say don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye. He doesn't say leave the speck there. He says love them enough to address it, but get the one out of yours first so you can see clearly to address it. So we deal with our own sin first. Doesn't mean we don't deal with other people's sin. Doesn't mean we, we're called to just ignore it and move along. That's not what God has called his people to. We're supposed to love each other enough to speak into each other's lives. But before I speak into your life, I'm supposed to go look in the mirror. I'm supposed to take a look at mine and see what is going on. The other day I came home and I had had a 20th anniversary cupcake and I had blue frosting on my face and I didn't know it. <laughs> and I have an amazing wife who loved me enough to say, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> this is so unprofessional. Uh, <laughs> Get it together. Uh, praise God, my wife loves me enough not to leave me there with blue frosting all over my face, looking like a kid. Praise God, she, she will speak into my life, right? We're supposed to point out things to each other. You don't leave, your, if you're a true friend, you don't leave your boy with one hanging right off the, the edge of the nose, right? You're like, hey, go, go blow your nose, bro. Right? We love each other enough. I've told this story before, but, it, but it, I see it all the time. In my wedding pictures, my tie is not fixed. I had five groomsmen and a pastor my, and my dad, seven dudes who were supposed to love me, and not one of them said, hey, let's fix your tie. So for the rest of my life, in all of my wedding pictures, all I see is my jacked up tie. <laughs> that and my beautiful wife. Uh, but when I look at myself, <laughs> praise God, she was looking good. She was on point. But I'm like, man, I, I know I didn't deserve her anyway, but I really look like I don't deserve her with a jacked up tie. <laughs> like, we, we could at least rose the level a little bit. Uh, so, yes, we speak into each other's life. Yes, we care about one another, and, and we point out those things that don't look like Jesus, but not until we've dealt with ourselves first. 
It's order of priority. See, when I deal with myself first, and it's work, and it's painful, I'm going to come with a whole lot more gentleness and a whole lot more grace when I'm trying to help you with that sawdust. When I don't see my stuff, when I just see yours, I'm going to be poking you in the eye. Uh, I'm going to be blunt. I'm going to be in your face. I'm going to be direct and hurtful. But Jesus calls us to speak the truth in love. And when I realize my own plank and my own fallenness, my own mistakes, it's a whole lot easier to speak love into the blue frosting on your face. Hypothetically speaking. Bottom line is this, our God restores people. We serve a God who restores people. Praise God, he restored me. Praise God, there are restoration stories in this room, and there are restoration stories in progress, and there are restoration stories in the future when people haven't even fallen yet, but they're going to because that's just life. We serve a God who restores, and he invites us in to be part of that restoration. 1 Peter 5.10 puts it this way. It says, and the God of all grace. Everybody say all grace. grace. Aren't you glad he's the God of all grace? He's not just the God of some grace. He's not just the God of temporary grace. He's not just the God of sufficient grace. He's the God of all grace. More than enough grace. Abundant grace. Who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Aren't you glad he called you? He called you. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's my God. That's my Jesus. That's what he does. He restores even me. Even me. Even you. Even that person you know who sins in a way that disgusts you. In a way that you can't say, see, we're really good at extending grace to people who sin like us, usually. It's a lot harder sometimes to extend grace to people who sin in ways that we can't even, how could you do that? I, I don't get how you could even, that doesn't even interest me. Praise God for God's grace in your life that that doesn't tempt you. But it doesn't mean it doesn't tempt anybody. Somebody may be tempted by it. So he calls us to restoration because he's the God who restores from all things. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God.